Okay, so um, we've been talking about uh, the series kind of began when I was thinking about what would I tell my boys? What are, what are a few things that I would want to share? And I have five sons. What, do, what would I want to share with them about what I think are just fundamental principles of life? And it doesn't mean that if they follow these principles that everything's going to go great and life's going to be just hunky-dory. But it does mean that no matter what the circumstances are, you'll have hope, you'll have purpose, you'll have joy, your life will take on meaning. And so I began uh, the series talking about, and, and they're kind of in cer- a certain amount of order, I think. There probably could be ten of them, but I just came up with four. The first one was give your heart to Jesus because he's the only one that can be trusted with it. You yourselves sometimes can't even be trusted with your heart because you, you sometimes give your heart to things that you shouldn't be giving your heart to. So give your heart to Jesus and let him take it. Secondly, the, 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 the second week we said, now as you give your heart to Jesus, allow him to mold you and make you because as Ephesians 2.10 says, that God wants to make you into his masterpiece, his work of art. The crescendo of creation are those people who have bowed their knees to Jesus, called upon him for salvation and said, Jesus, you're the master builder. Now build me, make me, mold me. So I'd say give your heart to Jesus and then secondly, allow Him to mold you and make you into His work of art. And as you do that, you will find the purpose that you were made for. Last week we talked about uh, guarding your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. We guard our cars. We put the locks on our cars. We, um, we protect our, our, our marriages and our families. And, and it says, above all else, because if you don't guard your heart and your heart's not right, then all these other things, all these other relationships will be off. So this weekend, what I want to talk about is something I think is really important, especially for all of us, but especially for young people. Choose your friends wisely, because they will have a profound influence on your life. Your friends have a profound influence on your life. Now, God wired us for friendship. We all need friends, but here's the problem. Sometimes we're not very discerning or very good at choosing good friends. Sometimes we're not really ourselves. We're not good friends, but we'll address that a little bit. But the the Bible has a lot of wisdom for how to choose good friends. And the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about friendship. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time really within the book of Proverbs talking about a few of the Proverbs that speak of this whole idea of friendship. The, uh, uh, the overarching verse that I, I have for this morning is this, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So as we begin, let me ask you a question. Do you have somebody in your life who is sharpening you, that is making you a better person, who is challenging you? Who is supporting you? Do you have somebody in your life? Now, sometimes we think, well, I I should have 10 or 15 of these. This is not a 10 or 15 category. Unless you're an extreme extrovert, even then probably you don't have it. This is two or three people in your life, maybe one or two, that you look to and you can share anything with them. They know you and you know them. 
Well, how do you forge these good friendships? There's a few things we want to look at. First, if you choose well, some friendships will be better than any family relationship. Have you noticed that? <laughs> some, someone has well said, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. And some of you are, are bemoaning already that you are spending Thanksgiving with your family. <laughs> it's like, I didn't choose them. <laughs> Proverbs 18.24 says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. And the point that the writer is making here is he's saying, you could have friendships, people that you choose to include, invite into your life, that are closer than your brother or your sister. Uh, You know, I I grew up in a family and I have uh, five brothers, and I was right in the middle. Yeah, the reason I have five boys is because I was born in a family with five, you know, six boys. So it was like, it, you know, the, that was it. Poor Carol, you know. Or you could say, blessed as she is. But <laughs> we'll have to ask her and see what her take on that is. <laughs> but I remember being in the middle, and my mom always said to us, watch out for your brothers. It's your responsibility to take care of your brothers. Now, I think what she meant by that was the older brothers were supposed to take care of the younger brothers. What I found, though, was my older brothers were always pounding on me and uh, weren't really worried about taking care of me. I remember one episode in particular. I was in fifth grade in parochial school, and it was before the bell rang, and it was simpler times and simpler days. But it was, if I can describe the day for you, this was the culture. Some of you will nod your head when I say this. This was the culture that when you did something in the neighborhood, the neighbor would grab you by the ear, take you to your house by your ear, hand your ear off to your mother, she would take the ear, thank the neighbor, and administer punishment as necessary. So I am in parochial school, fifth grade, before the bell began, and those days were simpler. We, had, we didn't have Nintendo or phones to play games with. I had a big, fat rubber band. I mean, yeah, it was. It, it seems like, you know, thousands of years ago, but it wasn't. Um, anyway, so I'm playing with this rubber band, and I don't know whether I did it on purpose or I was just messing around, but I let it go, and it flew And it went right around the crucifix on the wall, around Jesus' neck. Eight feet up the wall. And I said, oh no. (laughs) I'm in trouble. And so I was panicking. I was absolutely panicking. And I thought, well, maybe no one saw it. Well, (laughs) yes, they did. And they immediately began to point. And they immediately began to look at me, and the teacher wasn't in the room yet. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I've got a short window of opportunity here to get that thing off. Even then, I didn't, it wasn't working. So I'm panicking. And all of a sudden, I run. I, I, I see my brother, Pat, who's a year older than me, by the door. And I run to the door in panic. And I say, Pat, Pat, I, I put this up. I can't get it off. Help me. And he looked at it, and he started laughing, and he went to his class. (laughs) 
So I had a, a meeting with Sister Mary Vianney and with my mother after the day was over and it didn't go well. So my brothers weren't my friends. They were my family. And if they did take care of me, it's because they had to. It was their duty. It wasn't something they enjoyed doing. Now, some of you, I know, you're going to say, but that's not the case with me. I have brothers, I have sisters, and we're so close. And we do the holidays together, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas. We just love being together. And I just go, so what? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's great. I really do. But a friend is different. A friend will come to your aid because they want to. They don't need to be required. They look for opportunities to assist you. And we all need these kinds of friends. Those people who will love us, who will be there in our time of need, who will stick by us, who will just be there for no other reason other than they care about us. And that's why the proverb says a true friend sticks closer than a brother. You know, you're going to perish, you're going to struggle, you're going to suffer in life if you lack friends or if you choose the wrong friends. Secondly, friendship isn't something we look for, it's something we discover. If you go out and you begin and say, I'm going to find some great friends or BFFs, I'm going to find those people out there, I'm just going to go on an all-out search and find them, you will find yourself discouraged and disappointed. Because what you'll find is that if you find a friend, it's generally going to be a one-way relationship. When you, it's, friendship is, is, is a strange thing. It's something that when you go looking for it, you can't find it. And then all of a sudden, when you're not looking for it, all of a sudden there it is. You know, think about that. When you go looking for friendships, you're looking for people to help you. You're looking for people who are, will commit to you. And, and many times, you, it's hard to find that. The Bible tells us not to seek friendships, but to be a friend. To be a friend to others. To reach out and be compassionate to others. Um, you know, we, we, many of us have a lot of friends, but we know the kind of friends we have, right? When things go bad, are they there? We call them fair-weather friends, those that take off. You know, I think of the, uh, the, the, the story of the prodigal sons, plural, because they were both prodigal in their own way. Um, but the younger one went, took the inheritance and went off and had a lot of friends around him until the money ran out and then it was all gone. The money was gone and the friendships were gone. And, you know, so friendship isn't something you seek. It's something you discover. And I love the quote by C.S. Lewis. He wrote a book uh, a number of years ago called The Four Loves. And he has a chapter on friendship. And I want to read just a portion of that because it's, it just so speaks of, of probably you'll, you'll, you'll see it and you go, yeah, that's kind of how it happened with me, with my, with my friend. Friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. And so sometimes that's the way friendships happen. You just happen to be with a person, find you have this common interest, this common 
burden maybe, and all of a sudden you thought you were the only one, and there they are, and all of a sudden now you're united because of that affinity. And so sometimes that's the way it works. Some of you have gone out and you've relied upon somebody and looked for help and you find yourself alone in your time of need. This common bond or interest is really the starting point of a true friendship. And friendships are hard things. They take time and they take effort. And they're always pretty messy. But uh, they're worth the effort and they're worth the trouble. Number three, true friendship is going, is going to include the following components. In my mind, there's a number of things that really are essential to have true friendship. Now, when I say true friendship, I'm, I hate to even use the word true friendship because we use the word friendship kind of to mean acquaintance or true friend, dear friend. And what I'm talking about is a dear friend, a true friend, somebody who you would, you would say, they know my heart, they know what's going on in my life, they, they're there for me, they've always been there for me, weird. That's what I'm talking about. There's a few components, though, to those relationships. Number one is there's a, a, a high level of commitment. I'm here no matter what. Uh, Proverbs 17:17 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Um, when it says that a friend loves at all times, it means in all kinds of times. In the good times, the bad times. The, you know, the idea here is you have to be available. You know, sometimes we don't have friendships because we don't make ourselves available to the other person. Um, you know, now there are times when we can maybe spend too much time together and we need our space, right? And uh, that's important for a friendship. But a good friend will be there when the chips are down. A good friend will not let you go to ruin. They will hold you up when you're sinking. They will stick with you when everyone else has left. Proverbs 18.24, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so maybe the idea is that you don't worry about having these, these surface acquaintances, but you would really, you'll have those, but say, who do I have in my life that is really a dear friend? Second characteristic of true friendship is burdens and joys are shared appropriately. This is an odd proverb, but I think it has a powerful principle. Uh, Proverbs 25.20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like Vinegar on soda. <clears throat> when you hit your... Well, I think what this, this proverb says in the area of friendship is this. There are some people, and maybe you've had them in your life, and they, they, you thought they were a friend, and you, then something happened. Your heart was broken. You went through a difficult time, and they made light of it. They kind of mocked. They kind of just just didn't get it. And you go, what is going on here? You see, sometimes we hitch our wagons to people who are emotionally unable to share what we are going, what's going on in our lives. We find them making jokes when our hearts are heavy. You see, if I'm your friend, when you're sad, I'm sad. When you're happy, I'm happy. Somebody has said, and I think it's true, you're only as happy as your saddest child as a parent. I think that's true. 
You're only as happy as your saddest child. The, the proverb is saying, friends don't sing songs when you have a heavy heart. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Somebody who they can see you and immediately know what's going on. They'll, they'll just say, what's wrong? You, others' acquaintances, would, would, it, would, it would be missed by them. It would go right over their heads. They wouldn't get it. And, and you could put a front on, but they would say, what's going on? What's wrong? Truth is spoken with love. Proverbs 27, 5-6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Telling the truth is really one of the great foundational parts of a friendship. Can I trust you? We need, you know, too many of us have yes men in our lives. We have people who say what we want to hear. Uh, the many kisses are the actions of an enemy. Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had a friend and you've seen something, they've said something, they've done something, and it's troubled you? And you said, you know, I really need to talk to them about it. But you go, I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to bring it up. I, I think I'll just let it go. I think I'll just let, not, just not discuss it. You might have even tricked yourself or, or convinced yourself and you said something like, well, I love them too much to confront them with it. Essentially, what you're really saying is this. I love myself too much to go through the, tr- the trouble of confronting them. And that's why that verse is so important because it says that if you're not willing to confront in an appropriate, loving way, you're setting your friend up for disaster. Real friends are willing to risk the friendship with painful words because they care more about you than the friendship. They're willing to say, I'm willing to let this friendship go because what, you, what I want to say to you in the best possible loving way is that I see this. And if that means our friendship is over, over on your part, that's fine. I'll still be there. The door will still be open. But this needs to be said, even if it jeopardizes our friendship. Secrets are kept. Backs are watched in true friendships. Uh, Proverbs 27 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. You know you have a friend when you can trust them. You can speak in confidence with them. You can share your burdens and failures. And know they will not share them with others. Some of you thought you had a friend and then all, only to find out that your friend is sharing private conversations that you've had with them with someone else. And you go, wait a minute. I thought we were friends. You violated this confidence. They have your back. There's a trustworthiness. That may be one of the the most important traits of a friendship is that you can trust them. That when, when you're not there, they don't malign you or gossip about you. And when others are gossiping, they don't, at the very least, they don't join in, but even at the very best, they defend your honor. The question is, can I trust you? Do you have my back? 
A good friend always lets you in, but never lets you down. A good friend says what needs to be said in a helpful way. A good friend can be trusted and has your back. <laughs> I've had people come up to me, and, and maybe it's because of my role as a pastor, uh, but they come up and they want to tell me something. And they're not really interested in saying it in a nice way. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's whenever they use the word brother or something like that before they talk, I go, okay, here we go, buckle up. <laughs> it's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> But being a good friend is hard. It's demanding work. But the rewards are incredible. Some of you have those kind of friends. People that you love. People that you trust. People that have your back. People that if you called them and said, help, they would be there for you. Now, I need to give a necessary pause to some of the younger people here today. Because one of the things that I would include in this conversation with my boys is I would say to them, choose your wives carefully. Choose your wives carefully because this is the most important decision you will ever make besides asking Christ to be your Savior. It is by far the most profound and important decision you will ever make. And, and you need to understand that God has set a boundary. That, that there, there is a boundary to, to the person that you ask to be your wife or to be, you ask to be your husband. Uh, there is a boundary. That the boundary is simply this in Scripture: that if you love Jesus and they don't love Jesus, or they don't love Jesus as much as you love Jesus, then maybe you ought to look again, because right now they're not the good person to marry. Now, I know that boundary is just kind of like all over the place today in the Christian church, but I just want to say to you, there are many people that would stop right now, and if I were to give word of testimony, they would stand up and say, please listen, because this is critical. Iron sharpens iron. Probably one of the most powerful tools that God uses to transform you and sanctify you is your spouse. And if you're unequally yoked together... You are not allowing God to work in your life the way He wants. So I would say to my boys, be very careful. And, and I would also say, secondly, your wife needs to be the second love of your, mar- of, your, of your life. Not your first, your second. Because unless your heart goes completely to Jesus first, remember that's the first week we talked about, give your heart to Jesus. If, if you give your heart to her ahead of Jesus... Or if you, God allows you to have children and, you, and, and, and you, you make your children number one, there's going to be a problem. See, here's the priority that God has set out in Scripture. God says that, that I must be first and foremost. Ten commandments. Lord and thy God. First, right? Even, even Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love your neighbor as you... So the priority list always has to be God one. If you're married, spouse two. If you have children, children three. Sorry, kids. You're number three. <laughs> and if you ever get to number two or number one, there's going to be problems in that marriage and that family and those relationships. Inevitable. It will happen. So I would say to my boys, choose your wife carefully. 
So why don't we have more good friends? Well, as we said, there's a difference between having good friends and acquaintances. Some of us have a lot of acquaintances, but not very many. And, and, and let's just say this. The amount of energy and the amount of time and the amount of just connecting with other people means that the, the very good friends we have is going to be a very limited number. Some of you may have a handful of friends. For probably the rest of us, we have one or two close, very close friends. But the reason we don't have these friends is because we're not really good friends to others. <laughs> we're kind of tied up with our own lives. Um, and being friends is a hard task. It's hard work. It takes a lot of time. It takes commitment. It, it, it isn't something that you can just let, let go lax. Where do we get a model? And where do we get the power to be the kind of friend that God wants us to be? Well, I think John gives it to us in his Gospel, John chapter 15, verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So John tells us to be a friend. But he also tells us about one who came to be our foundational friend, our ultimate friend, our friend above all friends. Jesus is the one friend we all need. He did what we could not do for ourselves. He came to earth and gave His life for His friends. You and me, Jesus was speaking very prophetically when He said, greater love has no one than this that He would lay down His life for His friend. What He was saying is, shortly, very shortly, my friends, I will die on a cross for you. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I will give my life so that you will live. He was wounded for us because of us. He took our sin and paid with His life. He took our wounds, our punishment. This is not just a model. We don't look at this and say, what a model Jesus is for sacrificial friendship. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that we have to have His sacrifice. Without His sacrifice, we have no hope. Without His resurrection, without His death, we have no hope. He, we, we, don't, we don't look at Him as a sacrifice. We look at Him as the foundation for our forgiveness for our uh, help and hope without his death without his burial without his resurrection we have no hope so he's not just an example he is the essence of what gives us the power and the ability to love to forgive to sacrifice we don't do it by example because of the example we do it because we have a new power within us we have a new desire within us we have been changed we have been made new so jesus is not just the model of an ultimate ultimate friend. He, his power is applied to every one of us who calls on the name of Jesus. I know I have, at the very least, a friend that I could... Um, the better friend that I could ever ask for. I have this foundational friend, Jesus, who loves me, knows the deepest, darkest secrets of my life, and still says, I love you, I forgive you, I, I, I gave my life for that. I will never leave you. I'm preparing a place for you. I am always with you. That's the foundational friend we have. So now, I don't, I don't have to go out and say, I need you and I need you and I need you because I have Him. 
So, no, so now, out of my life, I can become a friend. I can understand what it means to sacrifice. I can mean what it, what it means to forgive. And I can know what it means to love because I have this example before me. But I have a friend that is in relationship with me like that. I not only have an example to follow, but I have him. I have his support. So I would say to my boys, make Jesus the friend your heart desires And you will have the foundational friendship that you desperately need. And find friends that love Jesus. And as you do that, you will find that principle in Scripture that iron does sharpen iron. And that your friends will help you become a better person and help you to love Jesus more. And they will be there when you need help. And let me just say this in closing. Even the best friend, human friend, will fail you. They may be just negligent. They may have something happen in their lives where they can no longer be the friend, though they desperately want to be. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, one who has already always said, I will be with you always. You're never alone. He's always with you. May God help us to embrace the friendship of Christ. And may God help us to find friends that inspire us, that sharpen us. And may we be the friends that God has called us to be to others. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And so, Father, help us to be that friend. Help us to love as we are loved. Help us to forgive as we are forgiven. Help us to sacrifice as you have sacrificed for us. But, Father, we pray that you would help us to find those common connections with a few, maybe even just one or two, that we could walk with them and they could walk with us. Thank You, Father, for the greatest friend that we could ever ask for, Jesus Christ. He said to His disciples, I now call you My friends. What an amazing truth. The God of the universe, the One who created everything, the one who came to earth and gave his life now calls us his friends. Thank you, Father. We give you praise and thanks in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen.